Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Cobia Off Cape Lookout, and we're going to be talking to Captain Chris Kimry of Mount Maker Charters out of Atlantic Beach. And we've broken it up into three target areas. We're going to talk about anchored up, anchored up and bottom fishing. Then we're going to talk about sight fishing for Cobia. And then we're going to move into targeting the bait balls for Cobia. So we got the three techniques covered. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools. And now in this latest and greatest chapter, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge, to help you catch more fish more often. And we also just like to note that not just more fish more often, but giving you confidence, getting you excited, so that you and your family spend more time out on the water more often together. I'm joined in this podcast episode, just as I am every podcast episode, with Billy Thorpe of Copilot Studios, a podcast studio offering podcast services for hire. Billy, here we are. What's up, Gary? Good to see you, man. You've been doing all right? I've been doing good, man. I'm I'm ready to talk Kobe. I'm ready to get into it. This is one of my favorite captains, and he's got a cool delivery, but he's going to be full of my prediction is he's full of information. Yeah, he looks fishy just from the pre-show. Yeah. <laughs> Wait until you see his little spot he's sitting in. I'm like, that's a fishy dude. He's a fishy dude. Yeah, man. So you've been doing good, though. You've been doing any fishing? Speaking of all this fishing. Um, yeah, man, I'm getting out yeah, there. I'm right, catching good. some of those fish. I'm back on the boat. I'm, I'm a good, I'm, I'm balanced. Well, I would share some really good stories of me fly fishing for bass and ponds, but we don't talk about <laughs> freshwater <Ooh>. fish. <laughs> well, go ahead if you want to. Whatever. <laughs> but I have met some really cool people at this one particular spot. I've been bass fishing and they all watch the show. So that's pretty cool. All right. Yeah. So, you know, I did feel like semi-famous there for like one second. I'm like, they're like, hey, are you Billy? I'm like, well, yes, I am. How may I help you? Would you like me to show you something now or later? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of good dudes out there watching the show, though. It's kind of cool to meet them out in, out right. in public. So I uh, appreciate all those guys. And let's go ahead and shout out to one of our sponsors here. We got um, R.A. Hitch there in Raleigh, North Carolina, Raleigh Apex area. They got hitches, trailers, bike racks, all kinds of stuff for the outdoorsmen. And, uh, man, really awesome company. And Chris and his team do a really great job and super professional, man. Great website. Go check it out. And, uh, yeah, we really enjoy working with those guys. So they've been awesome. That's what I was going to say. I went and visited the website, man, and it is polished and is professional. It's full of different product. And, you know, I found myself shopping looking at that website. Yeah. It, it's easy to, you know, get excited about that stuff. And fans of the show, too. So that's always a big plus. They, they won me over with that. <laughs> right. Now let's talk about another sponsor, Marine Warehouse Center. We'll get a message from them. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Robbie with Marine Warehouse Center in Wilmington and Charleston. We are headquarters for Pair Custom Boats. These center consoles are handmade in Washington, North Carolina, and are custom designed for fishing and family fun on the water. Right now, we have several models in stock, and deal times on the custom orders are around five months. These boats are custom built to fit your needs, from the seating, the tops, the leaning posts, and the live wheels. You design the entire layout of your boat. Come by and see for yourself why they're one of the fastest growing boat builders in the country. 
You're still banging your head on that music, yeah, huh? Yeah. It still got it still gets me, man. <laughs> oh man, those guys rock, dude. I, I love their love their videos too. They always make good stuff. So Yeah, man. They're you know, talking about clean and polish, man. Those are good, well done videos that are showcasing some of their lines and some of their services. And it's in contrast to Terrell, <laughs> who is growing uh, older, like he told me he wanted to tell me a joke, but he said, hold on a second. I watched him pay for his coffee with exact change. Like, come on, Terrell. Like, swipe a card Who or does something. that? Right? Exact change. <laughs> and the joke, I don't know if it was worth the wait. That's that's for you to judge. All right, let's go. I'm, re- I'm excited. Terrell's joke, not mine. What did the lonely fish want? What did the lonely, Lo- what the lonely fish want? I don't know. A gill friend. <laughs> okay, that's, that's pretty good. I don't know if I don't know if he came up with that one though. That one's really good. Is it? Yeah. A gill friend. That's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> anyway, I've had too much coffee. <laughs> Speaking of coffee, Gary, you wanna see you, you wanna talk about coffee or you wanna see a fish? I wanna <laughs> see a fish and then I wanna talk about coffee. All right, let's take a look at this fish real quick. We got Blake Boyd with a twenty seven inch red drum caught on live mullet while fishing near Topsail Island Inlet. Man, it looks good. Good yeah, looking man. fish. Oh, I can't zoom in there, but yeah, it's uh kinda nice little looks like a heart shape on his tail anyway. Whatever. I'm not gonna examine the red fish anymore. <laughs> no, <over>. man. <laughs> I, I like checking out the spots too. I'm with you. Yeah, it's one of the beauties of the fish, man. Of the red fish. So and then now let's talk about buying some coffee. If you like our show, if you like our podcast, this is a cool way to support us is go to buymeacoffee.com slash fisherman's post. And buy me a coffee is just a website where um and they really created it just so people can support content creators, podcasters, live streamers, all that kind of fun stuff. So go check us out, support us if you want to, buy Gary some coffee. He's kind of low energy on this episode. I'm trying to get him jazzed up. I might have to do some sound effects. I think it's allergies. <laughs> I think allergies got me. Boy, I wish I had a coffee. <laughs> That's perfect setup. <laughs> I just heard cha-ching, cha-ching on my phone. It worked. Oh man. Well, Billy. I'm going to be talking with friend Chris, Captain Chris Kimry here. And as per usual, we're coming to you at the end for Billy's best takeaway. And I don't want you to just check in for the last five minutes and pick out some <laughs> nugget. I've never done that. <laughs> never. I want you to stay with us. All right. The whole time. Taking notes. Because this is an exciting fishery. I mean, a very exciting fishery. But right now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up Captain Chris Kimry of Mount Maker Charters out of the Atlantic Beach area. And we're going to be talking about Cobia off Cape Lookout. And again, we're going to be talking about anchored bottom fishing, sight fishing, bait balls. But Captain Chris, as is tradition here on the Fisherman's Post podcast, we have two questions before we can begin the main event. Are you ready, Captain Chris? I am. Well, the first question, why should we, as we be in the audience, listen to anything you have to say about a Cobia? Well, first off, I showed up. Secondly, <laughs> I, uh, I've spent a lot of time. This is my 13th year as a full-time guide, and I've spent a lot of time chasing cobias. It's one of, one of my passions. I'm asked quite frequently what my favorite fish to catch is, and I don't have a favorite, but if I did, cobia would definitely be at the top of the list. Um, I've spent several years 
uh, recently, the past three or four years, with two different state agencies and some uh, universities uh, catching and tagging cobias, we actually put the first satellite tag on a cobia in the state of North Carolina two years ago, um, as well as many, many, you know, the standard anchor tags of which are worth a hundred bucks a piece if you catch a red tag in a cobia, cut it off and collect your money. We put out dozens and dozens of them. But anyway, with all that said, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time looking for cobias and I've spent a lot of time not finding cobias, but I've also spent a lot of time catching cobias. So here I am. And that is a pretty strong resume, Billy. He might be overqualified for our show, actually. <laughs> I'll go ahead and hit the stop button. <laughs> Let's see how long he stays with us. All right. So second question, as is tradition, is a non-fishing related question and attempt at levity. And so I think Chris Kimry is a big deal. I think Mount Maker is a big deal. Mount Maker. So my question is dealing with the word mount. Chris Kimry, you're an educated man. What is the tallest mount mountain in the continental United States? Mount blank. Oh, uh, I should know that. It's uh And if you don't know Continental, I'll let you include Alaska. Um, the tallest on the planet or tallest on North America? Um, United States, either including Alaska or not including Alaska. Your choice. Um, I don't think the tallest mountain is in Alaska. So why don't the you answer that question for me? <laughs> okay. I think that's a good idea. Because what I was getting at is the United States tallest mountain, not the tallest mountain that happens to be in the United States. So Denali, if we go include Alaska, right. and Whitney, mm -hmm. if it's the continental United States. Mount Whitney, if we're talking just the continental United Mount States. Mount Whitney. What state is that in, Gary? I didn't Google that. What, uh, <laughs> what's the... What's the height? What's the elevation of that peak? Oh, well, I did Google that. 14,494 feet, sir. But, but I don't, you, you I don't, don't know what state. state that's in, Mount Whitney? Do you? What about you, Billy? Do you know? <laughs> Wait a second. What just happened? I, I know all things. It's in California. He, he's Googling it right now. That doesn't even he's count. Googling he's Googling it right now. His computer. Surely yeah. it's not in California. Everything is big is in California or Texas. <laughs> All right, Chris, no. you got us. You've turned the tables. Right. Now we're coming back to Cobia. And <laughs> if I follow the list, I guess this is the order we're going in. So we're talking about Cobia off Cape Lookout. One of the techniques is anchored up bottom fishing. Help us out, man. Help us catch some Cobia this year, anchored up bottom fishing in that Cape Lookout area. All right. So for us, I fish out of Atlantic Beach. So typically we're going to use two different inlets. That's going to be Beaufort Inlet and Barden's Inlet. Barden's would be the one at Cape Lookout. Beaufort would be the, you know, the big inlet between Moorhead and, and Beaufort, obviously. So most of the time we anchor up, we're going to be just inside those inlets or just outside of those inlets. Rarely are we going to be very far from them. Um, and, and tide can be a factor. Uh, I don't know that everybody agrees, but for me, I, I would prefer the top end of high tide and the beginning of an outgoing tide, probably at both those inlets. But I've certainly caught fish on on any tide. You know, when, when we're charter fishing, we don't always have the luxury of scheduling our trips on the perfect tide. So sometimes we just fish and 
I've definitely caught fish on every tide, but if you have the ability to choose, I would probably pick high tide the first couple of hours out going at either one of those inlets. Why do you um, think that tide in particular works best for you? For me, it's probably got something to do with bait, you know, maybe a, an outflow or inflow of bait. But for me, I've came to that conclusion just off of historical catches. You know, it seems like some of the better trips I've had over the years have been on that outgoing tide. Okay. So, um, and it's, like I say, it's not gospel. It's just kind of a rule of thumb. Um, you know, and, and over the years, the many, many, many years, because, you know, the, the years are adding up on us now, Gary, that I've taught cobia fishing at, at any of your schools, because at some point I've done all of them. Um, the one in Moorhead, I think this year is the first time I've ever missed it, uh, you know. But one of the biggest things, and I'm going to start and finish when it comes to bait fishing for cobias, one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they do not check their bait frequently enough. That is the single biggest mistake that people make. And I see it over and over and over, and I, I preach it anytime I do a school or, you know, a club meeting or if I'm standing on the dock with guys asking questions, you have to check your bait very frequently. Um, in, in the event that you're checking your bait very frequently and your bait is not going anywhere, and bait being live bait, small bluefish, live menhaden, you know, cut menhaden, whatever you're using for bait, small pinfish, croakers, you know, you can use about anything to catch a, a, a cobia. But if you're checking your bait frequently and none of your bait is going anywhere, there's no bait snatching, if you will, going on, a lot of times that can be a bad sign. People get frustrated when they're using live menhaden or fresh dead menhaden and they throw it out and three minutes later, the bluefish have torn it to pieces. So they tend to not check it as frequently as they should. The good thing about the bait snatching is it lets you know that there's life in the area. There's a really good chance that the things that are nibbling your big bait away, so it's not appealing to a cobia, like a small blue or croakers, or, you know, we've had all kinds of crazy stuff. We've caught cobia fishing from king mackerel to big Spanish to sharks to just whatever stumbles through. But the smaller stuff that's eating your bait that means there's life in the area. And that smaller stuff, essentially, some of which the cobia may eat. So if you sit there and you're not getting any bait snatching, that could be a bad thing. So you really need to check your bait. And on the days that you're just getting hammered, you know, you're going from rod to rod to rod to rod, putting a bait on. By the time you get back to it, it already needs bait again. A lot of times, if you'll, you'll get a rhythm with your bait checks, and grind through it, a lot of times that's the day you're going to catch fish. Not to mention that all those smaller fish, when they're they're chewing up your bait and they're tearing your, your pretty menhaden and you work so hard to catch up, you know, they're creating noise and they're also releasing scent into the water. So, and that's two of the things that, that cobia can really zone in on. All fish can, but, but cobia are quite curious. So, you know, you could have half a bait down there where the other half has gotten eaten by bluefish and if a cobia paddles through the bluefish will scatter the cobia might pick it up and eat it so but if you let it sit there for two more minutes and you have an empty nine alt hook laying on the bottom you're probably not going to get that cobia bite and that's what i see happen a lot 
there's been several times over the years that I've pulled up, picked my spot, set up, lots of good fresh or live bait, and I'm going from rod to rod to rod to rod to rod. And it's literally four, five, six rods as fast as I can reel them in, bait them, throw them out, make my rounds. By the time I get back, I have to bait up again. And I look around and I'll see some other boats close by in the proximity. And they're checking their bait every 30 minutes and they're reeling in an empty hook. And there's been several times over the years that, that I've, I've worked my tail off but kept my groove going and caught fish. And the guys around me will show up at the dock going, man, we watched you catch two cobias and we never caught one. And I, and I know it's because if they fished each bait for 30 minutes, they probably only had bait for three out of 30. So they're sitting there with empty hooks for 27 minutes. And that's why I harp on this because I see it over and over and over again. People just assume because they have that big bait and the rod's not doubling over and the drag it and screaming that they're not getting a bite. And that's a, that's a really bad mistake. And it's not always the case. Sometimes your baits can sit there for 20 minutes and you can't give it away. You reel it in and it's still swimming. But a lot of times, especially when the cobias are coming through May and early June, there's lots of little bluefish and there's lots of bait snatching going on. And once the bluefish nibble away half your shad, then everything else comes in, you know, from pinfish to croakers to whatever. So that's the biggest mistake I make, uh, I see made. Um, I get lots of questions about chumming when you're anchored up bait fishing and chumming is, is a great thing to do. But, you know, if you're surrounded by 25 guys chumming, it may or may not help you. You know, again, cobias are curious. It might bring them in. If you find a little spot and you're off to yourself, you know, I would definitely chum because you've got less competition in the way of chumming. Um, but, you know, one again, keep in mind kind of the big picture when it comes to chumming. You can put a chum bag out. Um, you know, if you're sitting in, let's say, 30 feet of water outside of Barton's Inlet, and you've got it on the surface. You know, that's great if the cobias are cruising in the upper end of the water column that day. But if they're down deep, are you getting any chum to the bottom? So, you know, things to consider if you if you really want to put the effort into chumming, you may put a bag on top and you may slide a bag down your anchor line. You know, you can always use a carabiner, you know, a 48 ounce sinker and an anchor ring. And you can send a chum bag right on down to your anchor when you get ready to pull your anchor it'll come up. So, you know, stuff like that, um, just kind of thinking about the big picture um, once you're fishing. And as far as setups, everybody has a different train of thought on cobia fishing. I've, I've evolved to just about all circle hooks um, in all of my fishing, but it took me a while to get there with cobias uh, just because I grew up right here, you know, 30, 40 years ago. We always use J-hooks cobia fishing. Um, and then when we started learning more and more about circle hooks, I was just, you know, I just wasn't convinced they'd work with cobias. But I've caught cobias as big as 87 pounds on a 9 alt circle hook, so I can promise you they work. And I've caught every size smaller than that. Um, the beautiful thing about a circle hook is you can set your fight and drag where you want it, you know, Keep the bait on it, leave it in the rod holder, 
and nine out of ten times that cobia is going to hook itself. He's going to pick it up. He's going to swim away slow. If he's got that hook inside of his mouth, it's going to come tight slow enough. That circle point's going to catch, and he's going to get caught right in the corner of the mouth. And once you get that circle hook in the corner of his mouth where it's supposed to be, you've got a superior hook set to a J hook that might be in the roof of his mouth or might be hooked in his lip or could be hooked in his tongue, you know, or wherever. And you get him in the corner of the mouth with a good bite on a circle hook. And unless you have terminal tackle failure, um, you know, a, a leader cramp or a knot or a fray, or you have the misfortune of hooking him in the lip with no bone, nine out of 10 times he's coming to the boat. And uh, it's just something to, some of the old school guys, I don't know that they'll ever use circle hooks unless they're required to by law, but it took me a while to get there. But the past eight or 10 years, I have proven that a circle hook works great. Now I use a wider, you know, like a wider gap. I'm not going to use a real tight, tight gap. Some of the guys use offsets. The ones I use are, are fairly straight. There might be a touch of offset on them. And I don't know the number on that hook and I'm not here to promote hooks, but you know, there's a variety of them. Uh, and I don't use a heavy gauge wire. I use kind of a medium, medium heavy gauge wire hook, something that would be a little lighter than I'd, I'd use, say, if we were grouper fishing or something like that. So, Well, let me ask a little bit of follow-up on the rig, because I know our audience likes specifics. So without promoting a specific hook, you said nine-aught? Like, is that your standard go-to size? And then maybe even walk me through what, what you like as far as leader material goes, such as length and and pound test or, and then are you so, usually a four or a six rod guy? Like walk me through what a typical starting spread would be if you were anchored up. So a typical spread, and I'll start with the rig. For me, if I'm in light or moderate current, um, I'm going to use egg sinkers, just a jumbo Carolina rig. <clears throat> and they're going to be anywhere from three to, to five ounce egg sinkers. Um, and I'm going to put that, I use 65 pound braid on most of my stuff, either 50 or 65. Uh, and I fish spinning tackle. And I'm going to put that sinker right on my braid. Um, and then just essentially make a big Carolina rig. You know, go to a nice size barrel swivel. And then maybe, and it kind of depends on the number of sharks and rays I'm dealing with. Um, if I get into a, a bunch of rays and sharks and stuff like that and the water's not super clean i i may switch to monofilament but typically i'm going to use a 50 or 60 pound fluorocarbon and a lot of the guys like 80 but i usually go with 50 or 60 um probably anywhere from 20 to 30 inches whatever you're comfortable casting because remember once you make that rig from the barrel swivel to your hook You've got to be able to cast that amount of leader because your sinker is going to be above that. So that's going to be the, the typical rig. And then, of course, a circle hook at, at the bottom of the rig. Um, now, if we get in heavy current situations, sometimes if we're fishing, actually anchored up fishing around the shoals or right inside the inlet where you might have, I mean, who knows, three, four knots of tide and you might be in a little deeper water. That egg sinker is just going to roll, and sometimes three or four ounces, it'll actually lift off the bottom. Um, when that happens, we'll switch to a regular fish finder, the nylon fish finder slide that has the snap for a 
a sinker and go six, eight, even 10 ounces. I mean, I've been as high as 12. Uh, that stuff's really hard to cast, but most of the time when you have that much tide, you can make a short cast and the tide will drop it back for you. And you just space your rods and drop them back until you know you're touching bottom. So um, the exact same rig, except for you're replacing the egg sinker with that fish finder and a bigger banks or pyramid sinker or, or whatever, you know, you have on board, something you think won't tangle. When you get in those real high current situations, if you're using dead bait, you need to make sure that your bait is straight. Don't, don't put a bait out that has a crook in it. If you're using live bait, you want to make sure you've got him hooked in the front so there's less chance of him twisting and uh, twirling because um, all those things can create tangles. And you can actually, I've seen it happen, you can actually have a tangle where your leader material, your barrel swivel, and your sinker will tangle up. And then if a fish does bite it, a lot of times it, it could cause failure in your main line. So you don't want that to happen. Um, so, you know, one of those two rigs, I always prefer the egg sinkers. I mean, that's what I'm going to use anytime I can get by with it. And you can buy heavier egg sinkers, you know, 8, 10, 12 ounce. But I find that once I get above that 5 or 6 ounce mark on the egg sinkers, especially since you're riding that egg sinker on the braid, that you're probably better off to switch to a, a fish finder just because that's that's a lot of weight without some sort of buffer between the actual sinker and the main line. Um, what? And what a Okay, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was, uh, we, you had me, uh, I'm interested in more on the bait because I know people are going to be interested in the bait. And I don't even know if you can answer this question because the question is probably a moving target. But, you know, you got your, you got your favorites. You got your favorite that you're going to sort of give out an assortment. Does it change throughout the cobia season? So when I'm anchored up bottom fishing around the inlets, my number one, most favorite bait is without a doubt a medium to medium large menhaden what we call shad some people call them pogies bunker whatever we call them shad um absolutely my best bait now a cobia a big cobia will eat any size bait he can get a hold of but i find that the medium the medium large you know something that will be large enough for the guys that live bait kings to live bait kingfish with but it doesn't have to be jumbo. Um, that's ab absolutely my favorite bait. Um, and I prefer to use them alive. There's sometimes that I think a, a dead bait might work as good or possibly even better. But the advantage to using that live bait is if there is a lot of bait snatchers, sometimes it'll buy you an extra 30 seconds or a minute on the bottom before you have to rebait. And it also, you know, because cobias are curious, I, you know, I, Anybody that's been around a lot of cobias, either fishing or seen them or dove with them, all of which I've done, knows that they're kind of curious like a cat. So that live bait kind of sparks that curiosity a little bit if he's down there thumping and paddling around and, you know, gives one more little cue for that cobia to, to zone in on. But if you do use dead baits, um, I like to catch them fresh every morning. And when I catch them, I, I try to ice them down and keep them slimy. Um, you know, lots of tackle shops sell frozen menhaden. And there has been a bunch of cobias caught on frozen menhaden. Um, so if if you don't have the ability to catch them, that's definitely a, a good route to go. But I typically am going to try to every morning from 
from May until early June, I pretty much cobia fish every day, at least once, sometimes twice. Uh, I'm going to start the morning out by trying to catch big, big shad. I'm going to put as many in the live wells I think the live well can support, and then I'm going to put a hearty amount on ice in the cooler. So I've got plenty of bait. And sometimes, you know, depending on where you're at, you might want to cut a few up for a little fresh chum in addition to whatever chum block or whatever you might have brought. On the uh, dead pogies, on the dead shad, are you putting it on a whole dead shad or are you stripping it? I use a whole shad. Um, and it goes right back to the bait snatchers. You know, um, some of the guys like to cut them. And, you know, if you if you really want to cut that menhaden just to get a little more juices flowing, if you will, um, I would cut the narrow part of his tail, you know, ahead of his, his, his tail where it tapers down instead of cutting all the way across it because otherwise you're just increasing your vulnerability for bait snatching. And then one more follow-up. Are you hooking the dead shad just like you hook a live shad? Yes. Yep. Most of the time, some depending on the hook you're using, you'll find that some hooks that have a little bigger barb. Some of the guys will go through the eyes when they're anchored bait fishing. Um, I typically go dead center under his chin and come out just in the top of his head, just in front of his eyes. Um, and I do that because it makes him a little more streamlined. Because again, a lot of times you're fishing the tidal area, and uh, you want to you want to prevent twirling and and give him flexibility to swim around and all that kind of stuff. So, well, this would be my time to say anything else to share about anchor bottom fishing before you switch over to sight casting. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. It's one of the things that. It's fairly basic fishing, and people get frustrated with it because they go three, four, five, ten times and don't catch one. But honestly, that's just cobia fishing. Cobia fishing is, you know, it can be really fast and furious, and it can be very slow and frustrating. Um, but if you put your time in at the right time of the year with the right bait in the right spot, you will catch one. It happens every day of the week. I see it all around me all the time. All right, well, what about sight casting, man? I know people, you know, love the idea of it. You know, how attainable is it for Joe Blow? Well, first and foremost, um, people get hung up on sight fishing because it's so fun and it's so interactive. You're, you know, interactive rather. You're not, you're not sitting around on anchor waiting for the bite. You're, you know, you're actively out there pursuing a cobia to target. And it is a lot of fun. I mean, I think anybody that's a cobia fisherman loves to sight fish cobia. Um, one of the things you need to keep in mind, and this is something that I deal with all the time when I'm looking and managing my clients for cobia fishing charters, you have to have good conditions to sight fish. If it's a cloudy day, it makes sight fishing extremely tough. If you've had some wind, like for us, we get a good shot of southwest wind and the water gets dirty, it makes sight fishing tough. If it's cloudy and raining, sight fishing is pretty much impossible. You have to be able to see into the water to sight fish cobia. And that seems very elementary, but a lot of people don't think about it until they get out there. You know, and then they're like, oh, we've got this cloud cover, so much for sight fishing. And, you know, if you didn't bring your bottom fishing rods, you might not be cobia fishing that day. Um, so, you know, that's, that's why I always tell everybody there's 100 ways to catch a cobia. And the day you show up for your charter, I'm going to 
use what little bit of knowledge I've gathered in the last few days and what the weather's doing to make a decision which of those hundred ways we're going to pursue one today. And sometimes we mix it up. You know, early morning, you don't have a lot of bright sunlight. You've got a lot of glare. It's very hard to sight fish Kobe until that sun gets up, 9, 10, 11 o'clock. The direction that you're going to ride, you know, for us, if you're going to ride out of Beaufort Inlet and go east, you know, you're going to have a terrible glare, you know, right first thing. So you know, those are things to consider when you're planning your trip. Think about all those different conditions that are involved with being able to sight fish. You know, all that has to come into play before anything else matters. I mean, you could have all the Kobe's in the world paddling around on the surface, but if you can't see them, they're just not going to do you any good. Well, let's, uh, let's assume that we've been living a good life and the conditions have come together for us. We've been being kind to people. And so we are rewarded with some good conditions. You're headed out the inlet and what are you doing? You're cruising the beachfront or, you know, what's the strategy if conditions present for a sight fishing late morning, mid afternoon. So for all the viewers out there that, that don't have the luxury of fishing the day before or having a network of professional guides to, to call on that fished the day before, um, like I do and, and the guys around me, what we typically do is we're going to start out in the area on a morning that we felt was productive or had the potential to be productive the, the evening or afternoon before. You know, because there can be little pockets of water that have got a lot of life, that might have had a lot of bait, that maybe we saw a lot of leatherback turtles or, you know, whatever we think might hold cobias. So for the average person that doesn't have that luxury, they should just go off of what, what they can gather from their tackle shops and, and fishing the Internet and, you know, go to that area with the mindset that the only way you're going to see a cobia is to put your time in. So there's, there's all this debate about should I have a tower? Shouldn't I have a tower? Well, certainly if you have a tower, it gives you an advantage. Um, you know, if, if you're in a tower, you've got a completely different perspective on the fish. I've, I've caught at this point, I don't know, probably at least hundreds, maybe thousands of cobias on all of my boats um, with, without a tower. Now on the, my current boat that I'm running, I do have a crow's nest, which is a tower without controls. And when the conditions are right, we'll put one of us up there so we get a, a better vantage point. But things to think about are ocean buoys, buoys inside the inlets. It's always a great thing to check for. Anything you see floating, anything that's big and dark, should be investigated, whether it be loggerhead turtles, leatherback turtles, uh, pack of manta rays, sunfish, any of that stuff could potentially hold cobias, as well as big sharks. If you see big tiger sharks cruising the surface, it's really common for them to have cobias with them. And in the rare occasion that there's some kind of large marine mammal, or I've never seen one here, but occasionally a whale shark will paddle through. All that stuff's going to hold cobias. So keep your eyes peeled for that, no matter where you are. Anytime you pass a buoy, if you've got time and you can see into the water, you should take a peek. <coughs> Excuse me. Even if it's for a two-second look. But um, 
you know, tide lines, um, color changes, and areas that you've caught fish in the past and or seen fish. For us, it's going to be around Beaufort Inlet. It's going to be east or west, either direction out of Beaufort Inlet. East would be toward Bardens. Um, as shallow as five or 10 feet of water and as deep as 50 or 60 feet of water. Um, and you don't necessarily always have to have bait. Um, you can just cruise these areas. If you get to a pocket where you've got really good sunlight, you're seeing some life, maybe some schools of greenies. Um, you've seen a turtle or two, you know, slow down and just cruise that area and zigzag. And you can, excuse me, you can work with your, your buddies and divide up the chores, you know, from, <clears throat> You all right? <laughs> but yeah, if you've got friends that are fishing, two or three of you, you can spread out. You know, for us, we'll send one down the buoy chain out of Burford Inlet. We'll send one to the east, one to the west. You know, the first one that starts seeing some goods, we'll report to the others and vice versa. You know, that's the kind of stuff you can do with your buddies or, you know, shoot, a, a friend you made that morning launching your boat, whatever. Um, but it's all about putting your time in. Once you identify an area, somebody that's credible gives you a report that they've seen, hey, I saw a, a pack of two cobias here. We saw a pack of five there. We couldn't get a shot off it. There's a leatherback. You know, once you identify some areas that have got fish in it, that's where you need to spend your time. Just slow down. A lot of people go too fast. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I don't know how many cobias I ran over. And I say ran over, didn't physically run over them, but came up on them so fast that I spooked them and we never got a cast off. I'm um, going from point A to point B. So if you identify an area that you think has some life, that's where you need to slow down and spend your time. And not necessarily going around in circles, but maybe zigzagging, you know, pick an area, a quarter mile, a half mile, even one mile, and just above idle speed. If you have a tower, get up top. If, if you don't, put somebody on the gunnel that you know is not going to come out of the boat at the, with the next swell just to give them a little higher vantage point and uh, just cruise and see if you can spot them. That's, that's really how simple it is. Now, that's going to lead me to another mistake that's really common that people make. Um, when I'm cobia fishing, I have two rods that I keep in the exact same spot always and i forbid my customers from touching them and the reason why is if i see that cobia sometimes you have a split second to not only get your rod unhook whatever you're going to throw at it and make a cast just in a matter of seconds and if you don't do it fast or you don't do it efficiently you might lose your opportunity so i have those two rods that i keep in a certain spot so they're always there i can i can almost reach back and grab my rod with a ounce and a half bucktail and a curly worm on it without even looking. And that, that gives me power because if that cobia is in sight and he's thinking about leaving, if I can get that cast off and get it just past him and retrieve it at my uh, fishing speed, I've got a far better chance of getting that fish interested in hooking that fish than I do if I'm screaming at my buddy, well, where's my rod with the bucktail? Or, oh, we forgot to tie it on. So, you know, don't just have your rod rigged, know exactly where it's at. And don't crack under pressure. 
That's another thing. If you make a poor cast and hit the cobia in the side, he's probably not going to bite your bait. He's probably going to hightail it. So when you get ready to make that cast, slow down, concentrate, and put it where you need it, which is going to be somewhere you can get that bait past the fish without spooking the fish and retrieve it at the correct speed and the correct depth. If he's up higher, if he's, you know, maybe he's a little deeper in the surface, you want that bait working when it gets into his field of view so you can entice him into biting it. And is this all a, a, a bucktail fishery for you? Are you ever throwing anything but a bucktail? And then, again, we're not looking for you to plug a certain bucktail, but, you know, I think you said an ounce and a half, any particular color, and does scent matter, or is this so, all like a reaction, sight bite? There's, this day and age, there's an endless list of great bucktails that are designed just for cobia fishing. And they're all great. The main thing with a bucktail is, you know, and I've caught them on every color. I've caught them from black, white, chartreuse, orange, you know, and every color mixed together. Um, but you want a good stout hook. You want a hook that can support the pressure of that cobia, especially when it's, you know, most of us are using braided line, which has zero stretch. So, you know, if you got 50, 65 pound braid, you're using a heavy spinning outfit that can put a bunch of, drag on that braid you want a hook that can support the pressure that you can put on that fish um and there's some bucktails around and again i'm not going to mention names that in my opinion don't have a substantial enough hook so you know i tend to to go with a heavier gauge hook and it kind of depends on the scenario what's happening um you know, I'll use a lot of the production type bucktails if we're burning through them. But if I'm somewhere I think there's a hot bite and there's not going to be a lot of bycatch, you know, like sharks or whatever eating my bucktails, I'm going to get some of these locally sourced bucktails from, from one of the local guys that's hand tying with a good hook and putting a, a premier finish on it. And I'm going to save them for that magic cast when I finally stumble up on exactly what it is I'm looking for. Um, I prefer those over some of the other more well-known brands, if you will. And curly tail on everything? Um, it depends on the bucktail. Some of them are going to have enough feather or they're going to have enough hair that you don't really need a curly tail. Um, but on the stuff, like a standard bucktail that doesn't have that extra length, um let's see i i probably have one here but i'm not going to dig it out but regular bucktail put a put a curly worm on it of some sort or you can put a paddle tail you know some sort of plastic to give it a little little more action if you've got some of the more high-end handmade locally sourced bucktails a lot of times you don't need that and then does scent matter at all or is this all a reaction bite a sight bite procure or anything other product is non-necessary I don't use a lot of scent. Um, you know, you can buy the Procure. There's uh, there's even Gulp Curly Tails. Um, some of the guys swear by it. But for me, when I'm using an artificial, it's, it's mainly going to be a reaction-type bite. And it's not limited to just bucktails. I've caught cobias on deep divers, like your Zuri's and stuff like that. It's usually an incidental catch, but I've definitely done it. Um, 
I've caught cobias on topwaters. We've done that a few times on purpose just to see if it will work, and it does, trust me. <laughs> it's not necessarily going to be my go-to bait, but, you know, they'll bite them. All right, so here, here I am being a professional with a professional segue. While we're out there sight casting and looking for dark objects, some of those dark objects will be bait balls and that we might not see the cobia, but we see the bait ball. What's your approach when you see a bait ball you think might be productive? Again, I'll start off with the, the most common mistake that's made. Um, when it comes to bait ball fishing, when the, the bait balls are plentiful and the cobia bite is fair, there's a lot of competition in a little area. You're going to have lots of boats. And, you know, I've heard some people say, oh, well, we can't go to that bait ball. There's a boat on it. Well, you need to be respectful. But, you know, you could ride for days on a Saturday morning and, and never find a bait ball that doesn't already have a boat on it. So just uh, just slow down and and take a peek most of the time when i pull up to a bait ball before i ever allow anybody to cast i'm going to ease up to it at idle just barely in gear and i'm going to look around for a minute or two before anybody ever casts and the reason why is you can look at that bait ball and you can kind of figure out most of the time what's happening if there's predation going down usually you can see that bait that bait's going to be closer to the surface it's going to be very disturbed and nervous um, sometimes it'll even be at the surface. You'll see it making fast turns instead of a slow, steady progression. You'll see holes opening up in it. And a lot of times you'll see the predators. Might be big blues, might be sharks, could be old drum. We've seen jack prevails. We've seen amberjacks. And we've certainly seen lots of cobias in the bait balls just by pulling up without ever making a cast. Well, if you pull up without taking a peek, you know, and this is going to be on a bait ball that doesn't have two or three boats on it. If you find your, your private bait ball to yourself kind of scenario, if you pull up to it and don't immediately start casting bucktails or live baits with sinkers into it, it's going to give you a more real perspective of what's going on. If you immediately start casting, you could disrupt something that, you know, could have made it easier to catch that cobia. So that's why I always get everybody to slow down. Just let me look at it for a minute. And if we do see that cobia, you know, that's a good time to try to figure out where he is, try to lead him, get a good cast with your bucktail. Sometimes they won't bite a bucktail. If you've got some on the surface, <coughs> excuse me, if you've got cobias on or near the surface, you can actually use a circle hook with no weight and put a live bait on it. And that live bait is going to be, he's going to stay separate from the rest of them. So it makes him a very easy target. Um, if you feel like you're in a bait ball that has some life in it, but you're not really seeing any of the predators, but you're seeing some of the signs of predation, or even if you don't see any signs that there's something in there tormenting that school of menhaden, sometimes it's a good idea instead of working the top of the bait ball with your bucktail or that free swimming bait to drop down to the bottom, take that Carolina rig with a live bait, drop it down to the bottom, have your buddy take his bucktail and work the middle of the bait ball or even jig the bottom around the bait ball. Um, you know, you want to, you want to work that entire thing until you feel like either the, a, there's no cobias in it or B, if there is, he's not hungry today. 
So if I'm on your boat, I got permission to drop a bucktail right through the middle of that bait ball. It's not a problem to target the middle as well as the sides. I'm not going to disrupt it by. That's why. That's why I like to 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 go up to the bait ball and take a look prior to all that casting. Once you've pulled up and you're not seeing any cobias on top, you need to work the entirety of that bait ball. You know, um, if you just work on one edge, you, you could miss the fish. Has, has someone in the past, Gary, told you that it was a bad idea to fish the middle of a bait ball? No. I'm just wondering what your take is on it. I, I mean, if I they wanna, have, I I've forgotten that it. entire in that that entire bait ball. Sometimes we get these really big. I mean, acre size schools of shad, and you know, if you pull up and make two or three casts on one end of it, and then move along, you've probably missed an opportunity. You know, I want to I want to beat that thing up, make sure there's no cobias in there as best I can. And usually and it, you're going to have help. It's, you know, especially. If you're a weekend fisherman, it's rare that you're going to find many bait balls that don't have boats in them unless you leave really early. And again, remember, um, you're using the sun to identify where those bait balls are a lot of times. So early morning, it can be difficult to find them even if they're on the surface because of the glare and the, and the lack of uh, sunlight, you know, to give you contrast on water clarity versus bait. Uh but yeah, you know, unless you're bored, keep fishing until you find another bait ball. All right. Um, man, I think we're about at the end of our time, uh, but I wanted to give you more of a general question here to wrap up, not about one of the three techniques. With your working with the studies and working with the tags, anything you've learned about the habits of a cobia that, that not many people know of that we might find of interest? Um, really... When we did all this this tagging stuff, the, the findings pretty much just confirmed what a lot of us already thought. We knew that there was a certain group of cobias that would come to the North Carolina coast this time of the year, May and June, and hang out. But we also knew that the majority of the biomass went north. And when I started that with the science guys, you know, they're like, well, what is your guess? I'm like, I have no idea. Let's say it's a 20-80 split. Well, in recent you know, the past couple of years, um, they've pretty much determined that it's a 80-20 split. There's about 20% of the cobias that'll hang out here. And that's why when you're bottom fishing during the summer and and whatever, you'll occasionally stumble across some cobias. But, the, you know, that would be the 20%. The other 80% are going to the Chesapeake Bay um, to spawn. So... You know, I thought that was really cool that we always assume that, and now we've got a, a little tidbit of verification. As far as the actual behaviors, for us out of Moorhead, on the years that things line up good, um, we have a really good cobia fishery for those few weeks. But it's very fragile to set that up, and that's that's one of the things that frustrates people because every year isn't a great cobia fishing year for us here. Most years are going to be decent, but every year isn't great. There's certain places north of us where you have the Labrador current and the Gulf Stream current meeting that is more of a surefire thing that makes for a, a steadier fishery. And then, of course, the Chesapeake Bay is the grand poobah because that's where estimated 80% of the cobias that are migrating end up to spawn during the summer months. 
but for us it can be hit or miss so the past few years have been been pretty weak for us but i've got my fingers crossed this year is different <laughs> man uh so i'm gonna wrap this up but i i, I know that you, anything is on for mount maker that inshore to offshore but i'm gonna ask you to try to give me a highlight reel you know after cobia what are you doing give me something else that mount maker likes to do throughout the year so you know, early to, to mid-June, we start phasing out of the cobia fishing stuff. Um, and that's that's when everything starts happening. You know, you get plentiful amounts of Spanish mackerel, and you start getting the bigger the bigger Spanish that we call the live bait, and, you know, the five, six, seven-pound class that we catch on the nearshore reefs. Um, you know, and, of course, all the smaller stuff, the blues and everything that comes with it, um and you know that early summer late spring early summer king microbite that's also going to move closer to the beach whereas right now it's a for us a 25 35 mile ride to get to the good king fishing by june it kind of transitions in a lot of times those fish will be six eight ten miles off the beach and all summer long spend lots of time bottom fishing chasing groupers uh for me it's exclusively shallow water groupers um you know, mostly gags. Occasionally we might catch a scamp or a red uh, and all the bottom fish that come with that until we get into late summer and switch into the, the old drum fishing in the noose and the pamico, And then back into fall, which is, you know, kings and everything that comes in the fall in the way of inshore fishing, spout, uh, trout, speckled trout, uh, redfish and flounder when it's open and the sheep's head and black drum and all that stuff. All right, man. Chris, it's been a pleasure talking fish with you, talking with you about anything. I look forward to our annual every year. All right, man. Well, that's it then. I'm going <laughs> to wrap it up. I like it. He's like already it. said it. He doesn't need to say anything else. He's like, good. Here we go. Put it on me. <laughs> Do your job. That's what he just told me. Do your job. That's awesome, man. Well, it's been good, Gary. That's a good episode, man. He's just a full of knowledge. Yep, I told you, man. It's just going to be good. a casual delivery, but you know, but everything he says is on point. Yeah. What about it? What about Billy's best takeaway? I'm going to deliver this in the same way that Tara would deliver something, in a joke form. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what does what does a cobia say right before it snatches your bait? Uh, I don't know. Check bait. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I should have said before it beats you in a game of chess. I don't know. I don't know anything about chess. But that was one of the first points he made. It was like, dude, check your bait. Like, all right, that makes sense. I yeah, you got to work, man. I mean, I I like lazy fishing, which is can be putting a bait out and <laughs> sticking it in the rod holder. But... You know, if you're going to be <laughs> too lazy, then it's not, you know, you got to put in the Gary, work. Gary, be honest. You like lazy fishing. Captain, your Gary's no, hooked no, up. No, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, caught you. No. I, I'm just messing with you. I know you like to cast and catch your, and, and hook your own fish and reel them in. It's no big deal. <laughs> Or you like to get them hooked up and make me reel them in if I'm on the trip well, with you. Well, we're trolling. Then I'll stand up in the front of the side cast and you catch the trollfish. Yes. It's perfect. I'm not saying I'm not advantageous in all aspects of my life.
Oh my god! Oh dude! All right, well we'll give one more shout out to Marine Warehouse. I really appreciate those guys. Go check them out if you're here in the Wilmington area or in the uh, Charleston, South Carolina area. And then uh, also give a little shout out to RA Hitch up there in the Raleigh Apex area for um, all your outdoor needs, guys. Go see these companies; they support the show and make it possible. And if you want to be a supporter of the show, uh, you can buy Gary and I a coffee, and we really appreciate it. And, we do. And yeah. There it is. Buymeacoffee.com slash Fisherman's Post. And Gary, we'll see you in the next episode. Next episode. Thank you, everyone. Fisherman.